You're listening to Wake Up Tucson. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Good morning, good morning. You're on Wake Up Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy coming up in the third hour with our friend Juan Siscomani. They were just touring the border. Uh, if you missed the first hour, we were, of course, our friend Ron Arenas is here from Picture Rocks Heating and Cooling. Good morning. Well, welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Um, we're dining on uh, my uh, slow cooker Italian beef croissant sandwiches and homemade soft and chewy lemon cookies. Everything Very good. is yep. excellent. Yes. You guys deserve it. I should be doing it more for you. So, well, thank you. Um, and then uh, we will talk about before this hour is over, CBS Sacramento did a great story on a study about no cash bail. This is something that uh, Laura Conover is a big fan of, and I'm sure Rahina and a few other so- SJWs, social justice warriors, are very excited about. And we'll talk about what was the level of recidivism with those people. So, um, but we have a, uh, today, uh, our Food Friday guest had a, a family kind of emergency. So, uh, we're going to talk about, so, uh, we're going to, we want to keep the food thing going. Give us a call, 790-2040, and we're going to talk about, uh, kind of food traditions that have to do with Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, and or what we call in the, you know, in the traditional calendar, Shrove Tuesday. And Shrove Tuesday basically is way old school, and it basically um, talks about um, Shrove Tuesday, or they call it Pancake Tuesday, observed in many Christian countries. Um, they have a participating in confession and absolution, even though it sounds like Ash Wednesday to me, a ritual burning of the previous year's Holy Week palms, which usually used on Ash Wednesday, as well as eating pancakes and other sweets. Shrove Tuesday observed by many different kinds of Christians, and uh, it comes from the word shrive, meaning absolve. So, and of course, um, Fat Tuesday referring to the practice of eating richer, fattier foods before the ritual fasting of Lent begins on uh, Ash Wednesday. And of course, Carnival, right? Because that's going on big right now in Brazil and other places in the world, which means, of course, farewell to the flesh slash farewell to meat. So that's what Carnival, that's why they call it Carnival. So this is Food Friday. So I I wanted to do, I did a little research. I knew a portion of this myself, but uh, so we're going to go through some of the foods uh now potchkes is a big one for the polish the polish folks out there because part of this is especially in the eastern church um the lack of canny dairy uh and they also getting rid of flour and things that they weren't going to use i think i was just telling ron off air i think there's a practical side to the fast of lent because in the old days before we had things like refrigeration or air conditioning right <laughs> um these people, you know, you'd live high on the hog around Christmas time because it was cold enough for you to uh, slaughter your animal and make it last as long as possible. The stuff you didn't need out in the cold, right? right? Yep. And then at the same time, by the time you got to February, some of that stuff was probably running out. Yeah. And then you were waiting for spring in relation to getting your crops going and things like that for this 
weird thing called survival. Right. So what we're going to see when we talk about a lot of the foods, some of it is um, is is going to be kind of that sweet stuff, right? And then when we get to some of our Eastern European brothers and sisters, they're making stuff that literally was uh, we're running out of food kind of. Mm. kind of soups and stews and things like that. So Pochki's are is a Polish donut. Oh. Okay. And when I was in total shock, so I know you could get Pochki's at, uh, I'm sure you can get them at the Polish cottage place. They used to do it. That's the uh, place on Broadway. Uh, it's the Polish uh, restaurant over there. Uh, so we can do that. Uh, that's a, And then I was in shock. Fries on Lambert and La Cunata had a box of Pochki's. I was in shock that fries was even sensitive to our bullish brothers and sisters getting a pot. I'm, I, I don't know if it tastes any good, but I was just appreciative that even fries was even thinking of our Polish brothers and sisters. Got some over at the Polish uh, cottage last year. Very oh, good. you did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so basically it's a, it's Pachki's is sounds great. Sounds fancy. Matt jelly donut, right? Does that sound more or less? Yeah, I it's mean, a jelly, yeah that's okay. Nothing wrong with the jelly donut. As yeah. as Matt and I were talking about about Strange Brew with the donut, it's a jelly, right? You remember Strange Brew with uh, Rick Moranis and Dave, what was his name? Dave's Thomas. Dave Thomas. Thank you very much. Not mm. not the Wendy's guy. Uh, so I, I I found a uh, article that basically is uh, brilliantly decadent Mardi Gras and Shrove Tuesday foods from around the world. Okay, and um, so let's get to it. Number one, thank God's cannolis. So in Italy, Carnival period is celebrated between Epiphany, January 6th, and whatever day Fat Tuesday rolls on, uh, lands on. And the days leading up to the final blowout, one popular tradition is to eat cannoli, a Sicilian dish, uh, of course, with fresh ricotta. So, of course, there's only one place I would get a cannoli, which is Vero's Italian Bakery on 22nd and Sarnoff. So that's a good thing. And if you guys know any, uh, when I start talking about some of these places, if you know whether it's Nadine's Bakery, because they're usually good at doing some of these different things, you know, I, I would say between Nadine's and Vero's, when in doubt, try those places out. I just rhymed. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, pancake. So in, in, in England, Pancake Tuesday, that's what they call it. They call it Pancake Tuesday because, again, they're getting rid of, uh, says use up. So the idea is... Um, the original idea was to use up all the fat milk and eggs you had left in the house into one mega batch of a pancake mix on Shrove Tuesday to use up any animal products before Easter. Now it's more of an opportunity to practice your flip. Uh, he says, this is in England. They tend to be closer to a French crepe than mm. a thick breakfast-style pancake. Then, of course, we have king cakes, right? And so king cakes start popping up around Epiphany, right, for king... Uh, for uh, the three kings and again we talked about this in various places when you have the king cake and there's a the little baby actually we had king cake in. i brought some in on on epiphany if you get the cake, the piece with the baby you're supposed to be throwing the next party to celebrate that yeah. kind of that kind of season which i kind of liked uh they also would call you king for the day uh other sweet stuff uh sweden they have something called semla uh, now, which is interesting. So, semola looks like um, it's a pastry that has more cream in it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, the uh, the interesting stat on these semolas is um, usually there's six million of these estimated to be eaten on Tuesday, next Tuesday by each year. 
All right, six million they're going to eat next Tuesday. In context, the population of Sweden is ten million. <laughs> so that's pretty good. Um, what else do we got? Like uh, okay, we did donuts. We did that. So then we get in. So then jambalaya. Yeah. Right. So of course, Mardi Gras, hearty stew of rice, peppers, chicken, andouille, shrimp, and a heck of a lot of spice. Um, so, and then of course, there's dirty rice, a paella-like dish where the main event is chicken livers. So usually, I don't know what the new owners of Kingfisher are going to do, but Murph always took uh, Fat Tuesday pretty seriously. So I have gone with my wife for lunch there in the past, and he has done a jambalaya. He has done some crawfish, etouffee. So I'll have to check to see if Kingfisher's doing it again this year. And, of course, we have this guy, uh, Travis, running around with the parish and uh, Delta downtown. Mm-hmm. And he's I, – I, I remember what he saw – what he did on I've, – I've seen a couple of social media posts. He is definitely taking it again seriously. Oh, yeah. So at the parish, I know he usually puts an extra tent out. Yeah, for uh, yeah, he does a great job for for celebrating, as we like to say. Um, and then some of our brothers and sisters in the eastern part of the world are eating a lot of soups and stews, kind of stuff. Because I don't think they had they weren't they weren't they weren't it wasn't that fat of a Tuesday. I think I think things were still pretty lean. So Estonia is like a split pea soup. It's funny, the more east you go, you get into soups and stews, the more west you go, you get into the sweets, right? Because hmm. even, um, so, uh, like, well, Spain has what they call an omelet, right? But basically, it's kind of a, they call it, they call it el dia de la tortilla, the dia de tortilla, which suggests a, uh, so basically, theirs is an egg, potato, and onion cake in a way. It almost, again, it looks like, Almost looks like it's like in the world of a quiche. A quiche yeah, that's what it looks in like in a way. And so they're doing, they're doing these things. Their their version of our tortilla. The equivalent of Shrove Tuesday is actually yesterday. They call it Jueves Ladero, which translates, of course, to their version of Fat Thursday. And uh, so they're eating a lot of these uh, these omelets, these kind of uh, egg egg cake kind of things. Uh, what was the other stew thing I was going to give you here? Uh, and this one, oh, in Brazil. They have a thing called feijoada, a rich stew of black beans, pork, salted beef, best washed down uh, with uh, a cocktail. <laughs> Shocking. So anyway, I just wanted to share some of that, that there are really some cool food traditions. Uh, you know, we never really did one in my household. You know, could, we, actually growing up in an Italian-American thing, we didn't do anything that was that wild for for Fat Tuesday one way or the other. But I did marry a girl who lived a portion of her life in uh, Baton Rouge. So we do, I do have a little more appreciation for what goes down. I mean, the whole thing of, you know, the throwing of the beads and all that jazz is ridiculous, but uh, I do, I do like, uh, I do like New Orleans. It's a, it's a fun town and uh, they take tourism and partying seriously as we like to say. So, but anyway, and Mobile, Alabama actually has a uh, more traditional, Mardi Gras celebration, and it I think predates the the big one in New Orleans. Okay, and it's I think it's a little more family friendly, and um, that's one I'd I'd really like to check out. Actually, it sounds like a lot of fun. That's true. I I, I was in New Orleans uh, one time. Just the Bourbon Street thing, right? So the Bourbon Street thing is just ridiculous and stupid, right? And it's just and and and, and I like to say I, I say it every year. 
my favorite thing to watch on Fat Tuesday. You can watch them on YouTube. Go watch. I never watched the show Cops ever. <laughs> Go watch Cops Mardi Gras. Mm. It's the best. That's the one to see, huh? Right. It's unbelievable, right? Because the between the 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 voice, the the kind of that Cajun voice of the of the cop, right? And then morons from all over the world doing unspeakable things. Mm-hmm. Right. And I say this every year on this show when we talk about this, there's a magic line that every cop says, right? So let's say Matt is walking down Bourbon Street with no pants, right? Let's just say that he's never done that before. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically, <laughs> right? And they'll go, uh, now, c- come over here, boy. Come over here. Come over here, right? And let me see your ID, right? And they look at it, right? And th- this is the magic line. Now, Mr. Neely, I don't know how they do things in Tucson, Arizona, but in this parish, we wear our damn pants walking down the street. <laughs> we wear our pants. <laughs> Right, and it could be anything. Just it's like, uh, yes, uh, Mister Desimone. I don't know how we do things in up in New York, but we do not puke on the planters, you know, <laughs> that someone else owns in Jefferson Parish. You know what I mean, or whatever they say. So anyway, uh, anyway, we did it. We did our our food Friday. Uh, think about these different. Do do something up different on uh, on Tuesday, right? So. There's something we'll talk about this. We'll talk about, we'll we'll finish this off when we come back. I just noticed we're coming late. So seven twenty in the morning, Ron Arenas, Picture Rocks Heating and Cooling, Picture Rocks Cooling.com. Yep. Christy Simone. Oh, this is perfect for right now. Matt Neely, who does walk with his pants on. Most of the time. Most of the time. Not I don't know what's going on at home, but anyway. Whalen doing the Dukes boys. Here we go. All right, we're doing TV theme songs today. You're on Wake Up Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. Matt, one of our listeners is calling for the Johnny Quest theme song, believe it or oh, not. Oh, yeah. So All right. So we're going to do that up before it's over. 7.25 and a half in the morning. Sean McCluskey's here. Sean, good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. Very good lemon cookies, by the way. I appreciate it. I, like I said, my buddy Mary overloaded me with fresh lemons. Well, there's always vodka that takes care of that. <laughs> Like, right there, right? I mean, come on. Why are we going to pull any punches? Just jump right in. Right off the bat. The one thing 7.25 I want- <laughs> in the morning, we're turning a vodka martini with a twist of lemon. So one of the things I did want to finish off on my discussion of Ash Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Fat Tuesday thing is there is something spiritual that I'm not saying you'd be a maniac, right? But there is something that if you, you have a good feast before the good fast, right? So do it right, you know, eat well on that Tuesday and... Uh, but do it in mind that you're gonna, you know, for 40 days, get your uh, get your spirit ready for Easter. So I think I, I like that idea of the good fast precedes the good feast. The good fe- feast precedes the good fast. You're a good goomba. You gotta have a couple limoncello recipes laying around. You know, I've never got. I, I, not that I don't want to. And then my wife said that to me yesterday because I still have a truckload <laughs> of lemons left. Right, Same, what, another two what, bushels. Right. What do we do next with it? Right. So she's like, we should try to maybe do the limoncello thing. So Matt did Lemoncello. He gave it to me for Christmas a couple of years ago. Well, Matt's got some secrets then. He, does he can <laughs> share. This is when he doesn't have his pants on. He's making Lemoncello. Hey, that's how you get in trouble in, bad, <laughs> in, in Bourbon Street. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, the cookies, I, 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 I went online and they're just called soft and chewy cookies and they were. And they're soft and chewy and they're very good. Yep. So I, I was happy with it. I, I did not. I, I didn't do the lemon extract that she called for. Um, and then I just did extra zest. 
And they've got they've got great flavor. And the zest on these things, I mean, you, when, especially when they come off fresh off the tree, you can't beat it. I mean, literally, the, the the paper bag was just this wafting of effervescent, yeah, beautiful smell of yeah, lemon oil. It was pretty amazing. Uh, real quick, uh, one of our listeners, Clarissa, when we were talking about the Twenty Second Street Bridge. Oh, jeez. Just said my friend's dad rode off that bridge forty five years ago. All the city did was put cement barriers on the side. All that, that's all that's ever been done to that bridge. No updates. So she, is that possible that they did no updates to the bridge for 45 years? Yes. Yeah. You're kidding, right? You're even questioning that? <laughs> Hello. Have you seen our roads in this town? They haven't done anything with them in 45 years. What makes you think they touch a bridge? That's way too expensive. So what I want to do with Shawnee when we get back, you're here. So you, so we were, we were together for our infamous Carrie Lake interview. <laughs> And now we have a Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, coming up with Juan at 815. So I'm looking and forward to And I asked you when I walked in, do I have to behave? And I said, yes. I will. I, know I prom- Until I, he says something stupid, then I'm going to ask him a question. That, that, that's yeah. just how I'm we work. Sh- I'm sure we'll be fine. Uh, but that Carrie Lake interview, uh, hey, is, that, is that thing aging well? Uh, well, it gets better and better every day. <laughs> aging very well. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and, I, and again, I really hope she runs for Senate. I don't. I do. She's going to lose again. It, it, okay, well, uh, that's maybe that's what we need, okay? Because as voters, so, so we're really stupid. So you want to flush it out with a loss is what we're you're saying? We're really stupid as voters. I mean, look what we have representing us right now. Katie friggin' Hobbs, for God's sake. The woman just vetoed education, okay? That's all I have to say. Well, she didn't. Uh, she, hasn't she, ve- she, she, she hasn't vetoed anything you should be surprised by. Oh, she claimed that a partisan bill, and it had everything she wanted except that wasn't her way. So look now at we've the, got look, a little child. Look at look at the spin on Dr. Cullen that uh, she did. That lady. You just right. look at her. She doesn't look like a, a fitness of health. She was one a, foot in the crypt keeper. She she blew it on her questionings, and they asked her real normal questions about her actions and inactions, and she blew it. And so that's called character assassination in the Democrat mm. media world. Or so. unpreparedness. You take your pick. So when we come back, Sean, we're going to talk about uh, zero cash bail. Oh, fun. And then we're going to talk about uh, Rahina Romero's accomplishments uh, for why she's running for mayor again, just to get you all riled up. Million trees. Woohoo! 729 in the morning, Sean and Chris. Johnny Quest. All right. We're doing TV themes today, of course. That was uh, Miami Vice, Jan Hama, which was uh, probably uh, done uh, thir- 20 years before either of these two gentlemen were born. But uh, Sean McCluskey's here, Rincon Ventures. How we doing? And we have Aldo and Eric. They're from the University of Arizona Racetrack program. And, of course, they are active at Rito Racetrack, which, again, starts another great weekend of racing uh, tomorrow and Sunday, post-time. First race for you rookies is 1 p.m. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Excuse me. Good morning. Good Thank- morning. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, let's start off with Aldo. Aldo, what's your, what's your duties at the track? Uh, during the week, Wednesdays and Thursdays, uh, I help to get uh, help to get the car together or get the race help to get the races together for Saturday and Sunday. So whatever the product ends up, you know, the races and the horses you get to see, we kind of help that um, put together. And on the weekends, um, I kind of give out like the my suggestions of what horses I think will you don't win. Kind of give out. <laughs> I give out. He's so shy about giving out those 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 picks. Yeah, well, you know, they do it in Spanish and English, so you know, some because I mean, I've had like it's a lot of people that are like, hey, what happened to this horse? I'm like, I don't know, and I'm like, I tell people, definitely Relito is 
way harder to handicap than you know a, a California racetrack or a Kentucky racetrack or a New sure. York race. It's way harder because you know we got the tight, we got the half mile uh, racetrack. So you know it's a lot of the times it's whoever breaks on top. You know it's long gone, so you never know who's gonna break. You know it could be the longest shot on the on the on the field, or it could be the one to nine shot. So I mean, even the other day we had a horse that was coming from Santa Anita. You're like it's a cinch, you know. And ended up losing by a nose. I mean, things like that happen. So you have two tight corners. Yeah. And whoever, like I said, whoever gets out first, odds on favorite because you got to make that. You got to make the turns. You might and have to make the turns. What about the backstretch? Can people get caught in the backstretch? Is it, it does that happen often? I guess. I mean, it depends. I guess on the rider. Sometimes you know if they make that move early. We had actually in the stakes last week. We had a feeling mare stakes, and I thought a rider made a. a premature move and he ended up getting caught i mean he it was it was a smart thing to do but he ended up getting caught his horse got a little tired but it does happen good to know eric what's your duties at the uh, track yeah so my duties are kind of twofold wednesdays thursdays uh like although i'm taking entries i'm officially the assistant racing secretary so basically um i help to write the condition book which is the schedule of races that a horseman can enter throughout the meet and i've done that through the entire meet uh and then uh on entry days itself help them to figure out what races you're going to use because you always offer more races than are actually uh, going to be run on a race day Saturday Sunday for us uh, so figuring out what's the best races what's the most competitive races where to put them on the card because te- you tend to put your more bettable races later in the card for your you know pick threes pick fours pick fives um, so figuring out all those things and then obviously Saturday Sunday is kind of watching and seeing I also do the charts uh, or chart call on Saturdays and Sundays race days uh, and that's basically all the past performance information you see from Rito, uh, I put that all together uh, with all the comments and you know where they are throughout the race, things like that. Make sure it all looks good, so next time that horse runs, you have that information. So it's interesting how the job of what you're doing and then also handicapping, right? So really, what's challenging about Rito is it's such a mixed bag of horses, right? So explain as a guy who's looking at all the, where are all these, like, what's the variety of horses that you're getting, right, between ages and also geographic locations? Yeah, if you regularly handicap, or even if you're kind of a novice, it is a completely different ballgame than anything you'll ever see. We have horses as young as three, you know, we don't run any two-year-old races because that's the youngest a horse can race, and they don't race in the spring, but three-year-olds all the way up to 11 or 12, and I think we even have a 13-year-old on the grounds, but... Last weekend, we had an 11-year-old who looked like the fittest 11-year-old I've ever seen, and he ran <laughs> off the screen. It was it was an incredible performance. So, what was the name of that horse? So I remember. Was his name? When, was uh, it when, when you don't when know. When you don't know. When you don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah for what Crocs, a great yeah. name. We didn't know. <laughs> no one knew. He was no like one knew. Eight, eight to one. Paid eighteen dollars on top. It was a. I think, I think the exact paid like six hundred dollars, which mm-hmm. is just absurd for uh, Rita. But yeah, you have a wide uh, age range, and you have horses coming from a lot of places. You have mainly from Turf Paradise. Um, just because they're running more and more. But you do have horses that'll run at Rito one year, wait, and come back the next, and wait, and come back the next. You'll see many horses who are just Rito only, or maybe some of the fair circuits also here in Arizona that run one weekend a year. And also our fair share from New Mexico, uh, especially on the quarter horse side, and also uh, a handful from California, much lower level horses, but they'll make their way. Golden Gate up in Northern California, Bay Area, as well as uh, we'll have a few Santa Anita shippers, which is pretty cool to mm-hmm. see. Yeah, we'll even have horses from, you know, Wyoming, Montana, you know, they're not as often, but they do have some racetracks over there and, you know, they'll ship down here because it's about similar quality of horses. And, you know, it's winter, so. 
Exactly. Being Tucson, <laughs> just like humans. Um, well, it's winter, but it's going to be 75 at, at, at uh, post time on Saturday. Oh, Saturday's going to so be, it's gonna be the Saturday's best gonna be day of the week. So everybody get out there, get your tables now, and call the track and reserve it. So uh, here you are, both young men in your prime, and you're in the racetrack industry program at the U of A. So uh, talking to Mike, your fellow handicapper, you know, he talked about when he was here a couple of weeks ago how he just somehow, people were asked, like he like was picking races and people, he had friends and family asking who he liked, in, or, you know, when he was like 12 or something like that. Uh, Aldo, what about you? How did, why, why are you in this program? What's your... Uh, What's your interest, or what what inspired you to get into racetrack? Uh, I mean, I guess I come from a like a racetrack family, like my dad being a jockey. So I oh, always, your dad's a jockey. He's a jockey. And well, that's a natural I'm, transition. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to be a jockey, but you you're know, so tall. That's the thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, too much. I, exactly. That, that's how I was like. Sometimes I'm like, a, I wonder. I got like, that problem. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was like, well, being a jockey is not probably going to be you know a thing, and you know I've always loved the industry, so I was like more business oriented so you know my my goal is maybe in the future be some type of one someone that's in charge of like a racetrack or something like that but yeah like since i was little you know i love to look at the racing form handicap the races i think my vividest memory is when i was like nine years old and i like almost hit a pick nine in golden gate you know i had i hit eight out of nine you know I was reading the racing form when I was eight years old, and I'd be like, "Mom, mom, look at these horses!" And you know, she'd always sometimes even ask me. She was surprised. She's like, "Hi, what do you look at?" I'm like, "I don't know numbers, is what they say. I look at a lot of things." And you know, since then, no, no payoff for eight out of nine. No, no, no payoff. <laughs> you got to get nine. Yeah. Um, is your dad still a jockey now? Yeah, he's still he still rides right now. Currently, he's working for actually uh, um, as a. Exercise rider in uh, Southern California in uh, Los Alamitos in San Diego for another graduate of this program. His name was Phil D'Amato. Oh, sure. He, yeah, and he works for him in uh, in the winter, spring, and then late spring in the summer he goes up north to ride at Emerald Downs in Seattle, where we're we're usually um, it's our home base. Uh, so he does six months there and six months uh, in, the, in uh, California. Very cool, Eric. How about you? What's your what's your origin story? Yeah, so none of my family's into racing. I was pretty little. My dad was looking for something for me to do, uh, so he took us, took me and my sister to the racetrack, watched morning <laughs> workouts. Uh, oh, I thought he was turning you tur- turning you into a jockey. You're like I was a little little. <laughs> well, so. you know that's what I wanted to be um, originally, and my mom crushed those dreams at the ripe age of five. So I had Eric, you're not going to be a jockey, and that was a whole thing for all of like six months. But then. You know, I, I just always loved the game. I don't. I really can't explain it. I just absorbed it, all the information, a lot easy, easier than everybody else. Um, you know, like people want to be like firefighters and you know policemen when football players when they grow up. And I was like, I want to, I want to be working horse racing. And my my career, what I wanted to do, always kind of jumped around because I found it all really interesting. Um, and you know, I've, I've kind of in the past few years, it's kind of crazy how many people I've worked with just trying to gain experience and figure out what I like, but. Uh, you know, I think now I, I, my my focus is very similar to all those want to run a racetrack someday or at least kind of stick to the, the, the racing secretary type of thing because um, you can just make a big impact that way in the sport. And I've come to realize in my few years with the program that I really care about the health of the industry long term. And the best way to do it, obviously, is being in it. You can't make change from the outside. You know, the, you know there, there's so much change that, you know, a horseman or a rider, thing, you know, they can make micro changes, but you can make big changes if you actually put your mind to it. And so that's where, kind where, of where did you grow up? Uh, Iowa, Des Moines, okay. Iowa. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Moved to Arizona, uh, the Phoenix area when I was like 11 or 12. So, uh, got my in-state tuition. 
thankfully there and <laughs> moved on down and uh, took took care of this. But uh, Iowa's still home for me. Um, what's the track you used to go to in, in Iowa? Prairie Meadows, my my favorite <laughs> track in the world. Oh, Why is it goodness. your favorite other than that's your hometown? Well, I just think it's a you know it's just good group of people. You know, you'll find it. You know, the big tracks are awesome because best horses and and Rito's you know small and tight knit community. I think I feel like a track like Prairie Meadows or a lot of similar tracks in, across the Midwest. They're the best of both. You can get your high quality horses on the big days. You know, like the Breeders' Cup is kind of the year end championships for horse racing, and there's been multiple Breeders' Cup winners that have ran at Prairie Meadows in the past decade. Um, even though it's not the biggest track, um, but it also does have that tight community feel. You know, if you go to the track regularly, you'll see the same people every day, see the same horses every day. The horsemen are hardworking. None of them have, you know, inflated egos. They all care about their horses, and that's really all they care about. Love it. All right, let's go to break. We'll uh, visit some great sponsors. We'll do another segment with uh, Aldo and Eric uh, from the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Program, working. Uh, Knee deep at Rito Racetrack for uh, member racing through April 9th. And then, uh, remember, uh, Sean will be there tomorrow. We'll be there in the clubhouse tomorrow. I'll be there tomorrow. So please join us. Uh, gates open at 11. First race is at 1. Great food options. Our friend Juan from El Taco Rustico's upstairs. Greg's doing a great job with Mutt's. Uh, on the downstairs vendors doing hot dogs and stuff from uh, Wisconsin. And then Mark's got a good crew of food trucks out on, Lots the, of food trucks. on the west side. So you're on Wake Up Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. All right, 749 in the morning. We're having fun with Sean McCluskey, Rincon Ventures. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? And we got the gentleman from the U of A racetrack program and, um, of course, Rita Racetrack uh, this weekend. Gates open at 11. And again, first race at 1 p.m. Aldo and Eric, welcome back, gentlemen. Thank you. We fed them with lemon cookies, so you guys are good right now. Fed. Um, so let's talk about this. Uh, we'll start with Aldo. So people have asked me, when you go to the U of A racetrack program, what kind of classes are they putting you through? And maybe what's a class that maybe when you first went in, you didn't expect you were going to be taking? Uh, well, you know, for this program, there's two paths. You know, there's the business side and there's uh, the equine side. Uh, the equine, you know, you take a more, a lot of vet classes, kind of more like horse oriented, you know, the anatomy, uh, breeding classes, stuff like that. And I'm more, Eric and myself, we're more on the business side. So, you know, we take a lot of business classes, econ, microeconomics. Yeah. Right, right now I'm taking accounting and man, I tell you, I, I got to <laughs> study a lot for that. It's fun. But, I mean, I guess it's a good you're thing. I like a, you're it. such a liar. You just said accounting is fun. I, I actually like No, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I was surprised, too. I like it. You know, I like it. Like I said, it's a puzzle. You might have to make the the, the accounts balance. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I'm taking a lot of marketing classes, um, a lot of uh, HR classes. That's the ones I'm pretty surprised, you know. But I, I guess it makes sense. You know, it's business. You got to take HR classes. Sure. So, um, that's the ones I'm more, most surprised. But yeah, I mean, if you're into horses and equine, you know that we have that path. And you know, there's a lot of good trainers that come out of this program. So what I learned about not enjoying accounting, mm-hmm. and if I would have met Aldo in your freshman year, what I would have said is take the Pima Community College accounting class. And basically it's in summer, right? Mm-hmm. It's literally four weeks, right? And you just go four days a week and get it out of your life. And move on. Enjoy your semester. That would. That's what I did. I took my B plus and ran like hell. I wish I would have met you before this. I mean, like I'm studying like every night at least a few hours. So you know, it's like it's, I'm going to tell you. Although it, 
It's not going to pay off. Gonna pay <laughs> it off. has. I already got a 70% of my test. And I, man, I studied all, all week. I was like, man, only a 70? Yeah. How about you? What's a, what's one of your, what's a, what's a class you really like that the, what kind of classes are you really liking in the program? Yeah. So actually I started on the equine side because originally I thought it was going to be more, you know, trainer centric or other very similar kind of hands-on ventures. And I'm still interested in that. But like I said, I kind of realized over the years, I really wanted to work more on the business end. So transitioning and I just thinking maybe not just one class, but the overlap um, that you see that, that, uh, what what applies in the equine side still doesn't apply in the business side and and vice versa and just you learn a lot of things that you would not know it's it's a truly a niche program like my my one of my classes right now is just managing a racetrack and Beautiful. while it might be similar to you know running a, a, a stadium or a, any other major event center um, you still have to understand the horse aspect of it you have to understand the gambling the simulcast aspects of it all uh, I mean that's a huge source of, of revenue for uh, any track across the country, big, you know, like, you know, big, like a, like a Belmont or a Saratoga or a small, like a, like a Rito. So, uh, all of those different things, I think it's, it's definitely been the most interesting class just because you don't realize how many parts go into actually making a racetrack function just on a day-to-day basis. And customer service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Amazing. That's what's so great about Mark running the track right now that he's the Uber first class hotel guy. Yeah. He understands customer service. And as you guys have probably seen at other tracks, not everyone in the management world understands customer service. Mm-hmm. No. Mark is, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's one of the things we talk about in this class, uh, managing by walking around, MBWA. And that's exactly <laughs> what he does. I see Mark's face two, three times a day. Sunday, I needed him to hang, hang up a RTIP banner. He's like, okay, I can go do that for you, right? I mean, he's hands-on, MBWA, managed by walking around. I mean, he's consummate professional. And I mean, yeah, I, mean, they, I think that accelerates everybody's experience you know working there or coming there uh, tenfold well, as a guest and you're having a good time and you see the guy busting his hump and he's the guy running the mm-hmm. place yeah that just you have to lead by example i run a company and i won't ask anybody in my company to do something that i haven't done or i won't do so mark's the same way yeah um he goes out there he'll pick up the trash he doesn't care mm-hmm. so yeah. that's the best part about it mm-hmm. what's the future of uh, racing where is it where is it evolving to other than just the computerization of stats and gambling and all this stuff what's What's it? Is there ever you know? What's a what? What do you guys see as the future of racing? We'll start with Aldo. Um, you know, I think it's it looks good for especially because we got new generations coming up that you know are taking in charge of these racetracks. Like you know, definitely we've had a lot of racetracks that have closed, um, which is really sad. But I mean, there's still a lot of racetracks that look like they're going to thrive. You know, Santa Anita. Gulfstream, all the racetracks in New York. Um, is there a fear that the audience is aging out? No. Uh, I think it's more so the the new audience is just starting to get in. Okay. Uh, I think there's a, I think especially with the evolution of sports betting, uh, horse racing, I, I've gotten dozens more texts about watching races. And maybe it's just because I'm getting older and people naturally start to gamble more the, as they come of age and it's new to them. But And point, have money. And have money, right. <laughs> but point being... Uh, you know, with sports betting, it's just a very easy transition because horse racing is really the, has always been the number one betting option until sports betting came along. So it's still there. And, uh, you know, if you look at the, the handle numbers or the amount of money bet across the country, it's better than it's ever really been in terms of horse racing. And a large part of that, I think, is because the younger generation is picking it up. And even, you know, the older you get, I think there's a lot of people who will still be, you know, putting money into the tracks pockets for 30, 40 years that are also picking these things up. So, I think from that perspective, it's great. I think the biggest thing, though, is in horse racing, we're seeing a lot of changes as it 
comes to horse health. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that at Rito. We've implemented StrideSafe, um, which is a you know stride detection technology to track how horses carry throughout a race and if they're you know traveling safely. Um, but even the bigger tracks, you know, they're willing to take a smaller field that might not be as bettable as long as all the horses are healthy and they know they're healthy. And it's not just we think he might be okay. It's we know he's okay. I and can't we know believe he's that in the major that. tracks in America that they're not monitoring these horses all the time. Because for especially expensive as they are. You know? Yeah. You know, so, it's the fastest two minutes in sports for a reason. It's the most exciting. It's thrilling. And it's the most bet on. You've got big purses. All your mm-hmm. your top races are... That's always going to continue to build your, your audience. Yeah. And I, I think, you, you know, like uh, the stride safe thing, they were testing it in New York. Um, and there's, you know, I think they're more working through the... Uh, the logistics of implementing it costs and all that. But then you look at uh, an organization they're called First, um, and they operate Santa Anita, Gulfstream in Florida, the Maryland Tracks, and Golden Gate Fields in, in Northern California. And they have their own database for their own horse health. So while they might not be promoting it as much, uh, uh, you know, they're the highest level, and they are looking Still at taking place. And they And they took the biggest hit a few years ago with, when Santa Anita had a, you yeah, know, did, a rash. Did, did we ever figure things. that out? Did we ever figure out the Santa Anita problem? Because it's just like, I love that track. I mm-hmm. love watching horse racing. And then all these horse deaths were happening, and it kind of, I stopped wearing my Santa Anita hat. I was getting depressed. So did we ever, what did we find out? I, I think it was a lot of combinations of a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, the, the track itself, we changed it. They changed it. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of more rigorous vet work. Um, you know, you had to, if you wanted to work a horse or, or like, um, do anything extensive with the horse uh, a vet had to check it you know and if, if it was slightly off or something you know they'd have to you know do something with that so i think that helped out a lot because you know back in the day i don't think there was as you know as detailed searching a horse you know that just kind of like all right he's working or he's running and that's it you know kind of just like scan him and that's it but now it's more detailed i'm sure the vets go you know through each horse and i think they hired more vets for that to check you know because i mean you got about anywhere between 80 to 100 horses running daily so you know i mean how long can that take you to check each one of them Mm -hmm. and Uh, and i will say last year they had zero afternoon fatalities which is you know the 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 running ledger and racing has always been well, it's just, it's an unfortunate part of the game that no one likes, and, and we can all admit that no one likes it. But mm-hmm. it, 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 there's a reality that eventually a horse will break down and have to be euthanized or something. But in California, they proved that it's possible to have zero in a calendar year. So it just shows the growth and that the game is really dedicating itself to keeping horses healthy. All right. Uh, last, now, thank you for being here. We'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm going to ask Aldo real quick for Sean. He's going tomorrow. What are two things for uh, Sean when he's looking at a, at a, 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 at a program? Mm-hmm. you got less than 50 seconds to answer. What are some of the things that the, the rookie better should be kind of looking like for, for guidance? I mean, if you look at the program, I'd probably look at the last couple of few races they ran. Um, you know, see how well they ran, see if they had any issues, see if they have new equipment, blinkers on, first time gelding, you know, something like that. And if you're in the paddock, look at the horse, you know, sometimes just by looking at him, he just, you know, that day he looks good. He looks on the muscle. He looks beautiful. He looks on his toes. That's one of the few things I'd look for. Awesome. The guy that poops in the paddock, that's the one you bet on. (laughs) Exactly. Great meeting both you guys. Thank you for having us. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow at Rita Racetrack. Absolutely. Saturdays and Sundays through April 9th, first race, 1 o'clock. Gates open at 11 a.m. All right, we're about 20 minutes away from the Speaker of the House of the United States of America calling in, so wake up.